Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up on the Matchday edition of the Gagan Pod, the Parisians PSG are through to another semi-final of the Champions League, emerging from a phenomenal quarter-final tie against the holders Bayern Munich, where Neymar, despite losing the second match, was in absolutely scintillating form. Elsewhere, Chelsea are through to another semi-final and the first in a while, surviving some late acrobatics and some handbags against Porto. We'll also talk about Thursday morning's final two quarterfinals in the Champions League, chat Matildas and even squeeze in a Coventry City reference. I'm Richard Bayless, and it's great to have your company as always on the match day edition of the Gagan Pod. Joining us today, uh, former Premier League and Champions League striker Michael Bridges. G'day, Bridgie. Good morning, Richard. How are you? I'm very well, actually. John Aloisi, I suspect you're probably the same after PSG Bayern. Oh, what a n- another great morning. We, like last week, was I didn't think it could get topped with the, the way that Bayern Munich performed against PSG, even though PSG won. But this morning, PSG was sensational. So you're excited about that game. I think we all are. Dave Wiener didn't even look at that game as a Chelsea fan. He was too busy watching off an enthralling game between the Blues and Porto. We'll get to that one in a little bit, Dave. But uh, Chelsea, through to the Final Four. Reason to be excited. First time in, what, nine years? Indeed. And also a stat that took me by surprise this morning, that Chelsea have made more Champions League semifinals now than any Premier League side in the Champions League era. Gone past Manchester United to eight semifinals, which, yeah, an amazing achievement. And eerie similarities to 2012 in the run as well. Which just tells you how many they've blown, I suppose, when you look (laughs) back on it, Dave. But we'll get to Chelsea and Porto in a little while. Let's uh, start our attention with what was an unbelievable two-legged tie, Bridgie. One of the best we've seen in a long time. You can look back and think, well, it's kind of a shame, I suppose, that PSG Bayern had to only be the quarterfinal, really. Would have been a great semi and, again, another good final. PSG were phenomenal, really, over the two legs. How they didn't score in the second leg in the 1-0 defeat is an absolute mystery. Absolutely incredible. Like you said, the two matches, the team that dominated both ties were the team that ended up getting defeated on the day, which is unheard of. So, you know, Bayern Munich in the first leg, John Aloisi mentioned it on the on the pregame show, probably one of the best performances he's seen from from a, a team in Europe. And yet they, they ended up on the back of a defeat. And then Neymar and Mbappe this morning just ran the show. Defensively, PSG were amazing. When they were playing out through the Bayern press, when Bayern got it so right in the first leg, they found a way. And then the two men up from Mbappe and Neymar, I was just blown away. How they never got in the score sheet is unbeknown, but they got the result. Well, there was like a 50-second period, John, that probably summed up the whole tie, which was, you know, Neymar finding space. You know, he should have scored. He, he hit the crossbar or the upright after hitting the crossbar because he hit the woodwork twice. But then 20 seconds later at the other end, Chupo Moding pops up after some nice work from... Uh, Alaba and Thomas Muller in the build-up. So Neymar, PSG, more opportunities, but at the end, other end, it was Bayern that made them pay. 
Yeah, very similar to the league over in Munich when uh, yeah PSG were just used was catching them out on the counter attack and they took their chances. But the big thing that I found this morning, if Neuer was in the same form last week as he was this morning, I think that Bayern Munich might have gone through because he was sensational. Some of the not only his saves, but when he was yeah. sweeping, he was in good positions and and he stopped a lot of their chances. But uh, yeah, the, look, Bayern Munich just lacked that little bit of that cutting edge this morning. They didn't have Lewandowski. Didn't Gnabry. Have, yeah, didn't have Lewandowski, didn't have Gnabry, didn't have Goretzka, Goretzka. who's been in good goal-scoring form. And I think what they, they you saw at the end when he took off Chupamoteng and put in Martinez, who's naturally a, a defensive player, to play up front, their depth was <laughs> was really struggling this morning. They only had seven players on the bench. Yeah, which, you know, you think about the quality they have in that squad. You know, you would have said that everybody fit. They have depth. They didn't have Sula or Goretzka, like you mentioned. Uh, Toliso, no Costa, plus Gnabry and Lewandowski. It's amazing what six or seven injuries can do to any side in the world because they didn't have the quality or depth, Dave. And at the end of the day, that's probably what the difference was. I think so, and, and what you mentioned about Neuer as well is, is we said last week, it's funny, we said last week that the difference between the Champions League final and that game was Neuer, and the same here today as well. Um, I, th- I mentioned it on air, I think that depth is going to become a talking point. John said that Bayern never have a vast squad, they don't spend like the big heavy hitters elsewhere in Europe, but just in terms of who the signings are, what happens next, Alaba, Jerome Boateng, I think it is going to determine the future of Hansi Flick, and it's, it's a really interesting moment for Bayern who've gone from champions of the galaxy to now being probably just the Bundesliga leaders. It's going to be a fascinating fallout to the game. While the talking point around Bayern might be who wasn't there for PSG, it was absolutely who was, and Neymar, John, phenomenal. He was so good. We know Mbappe, and last week Mbappe was probably the standout of the two, but today it was Neymar. Mbappe had a good game as well, so too Di Maria, but how good was the Brazilian? Was that as good as he can get, do you think? That's the best I've seen him play for years. And and his all-round play was so good. The way he was actually taking people on, the positions he was getting in. Um, the only thing that lacked was that goal because he, he hit the post, he hit the crossbar. Um, but, you know, just, just the way he was moving across the pitch I and happy. Mm. You know, it, it, Neymar's happy, and you saw him embrace Pochettino after the game. Pochettino's really got them that that, that togetherness, like he did at Tottenham, and um, and he's getting the best out of Neymar. I, I think that if Neymar is in this sort of form in the semi-final, watch out, City or Dortmund, because PSG are going to be tough. They are going to be because you can't only just uh, like pick up Neymar because you got Mbappe and you also got Di Maria who was in good form in the, especially in that first half. I have never seen an Argentinian and a Brazilian embrace as much <laughs> as, as we did when Pochettino and Neymar did. Messi so that Neymar. speaks volumes. But that's an interesting point because a lot of the things I was reading before the game was Mbappe and Neymar talking about each other so effusively how much they love each other and I know that we saw the vision on air of Mbappe upset when he didn't get the, the ball centred across to him but that's just competitive you know, desire. They are playing together, they're in this together and that's a big thing for two guys who are at the top of the world in terms of you know their ego and their and their status and also interesting contract positions they're in this together they it's it's a formidable it's a formidable proposition and I'm glad for Neymar while I was watching it I kept thinking my image of Neymar in big games is what we saw in the first half. Hands on face, crestfallen, so dramatic. He got away with one here and I do wonder Johnny yeah if this is going to be the tournament where he does go on and win it himself which is what he moved to Paris to do. Yeah, well, they've got a good opportunity. I think that, of course, they still need to get through the semi-final. And if City do get through, which I expect them to, they're not going to be easy. But, um, you know, I wouldn't put it past PSG and Pochettino. He's been to a final before. 
So Neymar and Mbappe, they probably realise that whilst they'd love to be the talisman for their club, they probably need each other, don't they? If PSG are to win, both of them need to be at their absolute when best. When they're playing like that, Rich, together, you can see they are enjoying it. They're, they're setting each other up. They're, they're relishing and thriving off each other. And what's been interesting uh, is watching the F1 documentary. I've been fascinated to see how a team, when you've got two drivers wanting to be at the top of their game, and the, the personalities that can separate and you're in a team, it happens in football as well. When you get two big hitters or three or four, you want to be the biggest and best. And how Pochettino is handling this situation and making them gel together, I think, is superb. One of the things that when Leonardo, who was the football manager, director at PSG, when they signed Mbappe, they told him Neymar is the man. You have to actually be there to support Neymar. And he, he took that on board. And, and you can see that he, he doesn't mind playing that role. He knows he's going to score his goals. He knows he's going to still be, you know, uh, put in a position that he's one of the best in the world. But uh, I think that Mbappe has been the smart one in this position. I'm sorry to rub it in, Bridget, because you've mentioned Pochettino twice now in the last few seconds. <laughs> but one other thing you did mention right at the start of this, and this is not just to bring up the Spurs thing and all that, but you mentioned the way Paris defended. And that, for me, I found as interesting as, as because we know they've got the brilliance up front. But they went here and they they were so disciplined. They were uh, desperate as well, but they were disciplined. And it was another side, because we know Pochettino's teams, they press, they harry, they're full of intensity. But I thought here today, they set up and they were smart. And it's another string to his bow. Again, I apologise for making that comment. They set up <laughs> brilliantly. I mean, Drexler, we never talked about in an attacking sense, but what he did defensively to get in and make two blocks of four... In the name, I just sat in front and they released Mbappe on the counter-attack. Brilliant. And um, it's something that Tottenham could really do with at this moment in time because they've been ahead so many times this season and lost. So there you go. Yeah, Thanks, Dave. Obviously, Spurs fans will be looking at Potts smiling and you know embracing Neymar and whoever else and thinking, oh, what what might have been players that enjoy their managers a nice sight, uh, particularly when you consider what's happening at Tottenham. And the Potts storyline is another one, isn't it, John? Just given that he's been there before, he took Tottenham to a final against all the odds. Now with a club in PSG that expect that and players at his disposal that cost a lot and are such world-class players, you know, can he take that group to it? And he's only one tie away from another final. I think he can because at the moment when you look at their squad, and you looked at their bench. They had Verratti coming back in. They still got Icardi to come back in. Marquinhos, Marquinhos. to come back in. I actually think that they're starting to get their players in good condition. They're not. When you look at, a, say, a Real Madrid, you you look at them and you go, they're hitting their peak physically. They could actually fall away. And you say that a little bit about City. I know City's still got their their full strength squad, but City. Did they peak too early in the season in terms of like going on to win the Champions League? Whereas I think PSG are just hitting the straps at the right time. Who did you pick to win this? Because I went for Bayern at the start of the year. I'd like to say I went for PSG, but I don't think I did. (laughs) I don't know who I went for. So so last week when we put to you who would City rather play, or I should say City or Dortmund rather play, and you said PSG, snap PSG. Any any other changes over the last Uh, week? uh, After watching this morning... I would say they'll be scared of PSG because they can defend. And we, we see with City every week, they don't always punish the opposition. They they have a lot of the ball we, against Leeds, for instance. You know, when you defend well, you still got opportunities to catch them on the counter. Leeds did that well and they took their chances. If PSG take their chances against a City, if they get through, I think that um, I'm not sure that Pep will want to be facing PSG, but he's got no choice if they (laughs) do get through. Yeah, very difficult to argue against playing PSG if they win. Uh, Certainly with a draw, it pans out. We'll talk a little bit bit later about 
Dortmund and Manchester City coming our way Thursday morning Australian time. But Chelsea are always through, almost always through, as Dave said before, to another semi-final. Uh, impressive over the two legs. I guess from their perspective, Bridgie, a little bit of a shame they didn't keep a clean sheet. But from a neutral's perspective, what a goal it was to give away. Porto won this one, 1-0. Murdy Tarami right at the death with an overhead kick. It was a worldie. It was, and it was going to take a worldie to break the Chelsea defence because over the two legs, I mean, to go to Porto, keep a clean sheet and score two against a team uh, where Sowers had them so defensively magnificent this season, that was an impressive performance. So coming back to the home leg, you've got to keep it tight. Chelsea did. I don't know how Dave stayed awake watching that game. It was absolutely honking. The, the chances <laughs> were few and far between, but I'll tell you what, it was a world-class goal that completely changed this tie and a penalty decision at the end that was very, very dodgy and debatable depending on what angle you saw it from and it didn't go to VR and I think if the, the player in question for Porto was... Uh, in, I've forgotten. Evan Nelson. Evan Nelson. Evan Nelson. Evan Nelson. If he'd have been more honest and stayed taller rather than as soon as he got contact going down, I think we could have been looking at a, a penalty decision. The issue was, from the Porto point of view, the goal came in the 94th minute, so there was no time left. And then there was that penalty shout. And of course, when Chelsea, any kind of scrap, Dave, Antonio Rudiger's <laughs> always at the centre of it. It was him that was, you know, the penalty shout against him. We saw yeah. Tarami get a yellow card for mouthing off at the referee. And then all hell ensued from then. It was Pepe against Rudiger, the heavyweight matchup for the ages, exactly what you'd expect at the end of a Porto and Chelsea game. And what I think maybe Porto fans would have liked to have seen that bit of uh, edginess maybe about an hour earlier. It's amazing how nothing can happen for 90 minutes and then all that happens right at the edge. Guys, it was a close call. It was closer than I probably would have liked it to be, particularly not only the Rudiger tangle, Silver coming in kamikaze. Is it closer since you've looked at the footage in real time? Like, and you've slowed it down and analysed the decision? Uh, it didn't go to VAR, and I think if it had it done, it could have been a completely I, I, different... I agree with you. Yeah. Because when I first watched it, I was going, no way is that a penalty. The, the player's gone down too early, too easy. And then every time I watch it back, every time I watch it it's back... It's more I, doubt I, in I, your I'm head. I'm going... That could be a penalty yeah. because Thiago Silva's just clobbered him after. And, and, and you think about it, if it did go to VAR, and that's why there was that uh, you know melee after the game, because the Porto players were livid. They were going, why didn't that go to VAR? Why are you whistling for the, you know, the, the end of the game? At, at least have a look and see what you think because the VAR, they might have gone and given a penalty. Well, at the end of it, we talk about Pochettino's record getting sides into the final four of the Champions League. Thomas Tuchel, two years in a row. Last year it was PSG. This time it's with Chelsea. And the big question really is, can they win it? Of course they can because of the proximity to the final, I suppose, Dave. But do you feel like this is a team that will peak or is peaking at the right time to win a competition? Remembering they're still in three competitions. They're fighting on a few fronts. They want to get in the top four. But what about the carrot? Two games away from another Champions League title. Oh, no, and John made a joke last week about Chelsea being boring to watch. But in a way... I didn't say they were boring. I said, do you like watching them? <laughs> That's a loaded question, though, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so in a way... I actually think that's been the most impressive thing about what Tuchel has done because under Lampard it was thrill a minute but the side wasn't mature enough and it was kamikaze, it was chaos and all of a sudden like that you've got a side that doesn't concede goals today was professional, took the fire out of the game just went, you're not going to have a sniff here Porto uh, you want to have the ball, have it if you want to have a contest in midfield, we'll have a scrap um, 
And can they win it? Well, I think the other thing we saw against Crystal Palace is he's might have got a step closer to revealing that he might have what with the first bit of consistency in the final third, which has been the part of the field that Chelsea have been lacking, that Pulisic mount with Kai Havertz. Interesting, because it probably means Timo Werner's had enough chances and doesn't get it. And we were saying last week, because Mount did overshadow Havertz and Werner, but my goodness, we saw he just needed that Palace game, and I wonder whether he can kick on from there, and I wonder whether we'll start to see this trio just get a bit of a run of form together. get excited beating Crystal Palace, Dave. The way Havertz... I know, I know, no, I know, but they were good. sounds like he is. I I don't want to get carried away, which is why I'm going to ask John. (laughs) You know what? I'll I'll even get carried away. It was the best I've seen them attacking-wise, and I know it was a Palace, but you still have to beat whatever's in front of you, and the way they did it, they, they destroyed him in that yeah. first half. And, and it was nice to see. It was good movement. And you saw Havertz. And, and, you know, look, I only saw bits of Havertz when he was at Leverkusen. I didn't pay a real lot of attention to him. But Swartzy swears by his quality and says that he is brilliant. Once he hits form and confidence, he will do well in the Premier League. And I start to see glimpses of that. So hopefully mm-hmm. we get to see that. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Chelsea move on to either Real Madrid or Liverpool. We turn our attention to Thursday morning. Real Madrid have a 3-1 advantage over the Reds. Going back to Anfield, we mentioned last week the fact that that in itself won't scare Liverpool the deficit because a couple of years ago they turned around that 3-0 deficit to Barcelona in famous fashion. They were thoroughly outplayed last week, Bridgie, were Liverpool against Real Madrid. But Real Madrid, all of a sudden, Zinedine Zidane comes out and said, we're at the end of our tether in terms of physicality. Vazquez is now injured. Sergio Ramos now has COVID, so there are more concerns there. It feels like there is a massive chance for Liverpool because they only need to win 2-0. Yes, and especially the way that they handled Aston Villa the other day. When they were, you know, fighting to get back into that game, they found a way. And in the last minute, with Trent Alexander-Arnold finding the goal after the week or the few weeks that he's had with the scrutiny about the England selection, the the trauma that Liverpool have had at home, they found a way. And I just think that they look galvanised again. Marnie had a rest. He'll be fresh again. Salah was looking sharp, needed a lot more opportunities, but they found a way. And I, I think what Klopp mentioned when he said, you know, forget about the comebacks that we've done in the past. He's just planted a little seed there. Into the players' minds, say we can do this. What what a relief winning at home! You know, six Dude. games on the trot. I, I think that just gives them that confidence that all right, we can win again at Anfield. Um, I still think their issue is going to be the counter of uh, Real Madrid because we saw them last week. Vinicius, especially, he was sensational. How are they going to handle that? How are they going to actually get someone to cover when Trent Alexander-Arnold does push forward? Fabinho needs to do a better job. I think that the two centre-backs need to actually slide a little bit quicker. And, but he's just so quick, Vinicius. So that, that that's the only thing. I think they'll score goals, but it's whether they can keep a clean sheet at the back. 
and Real Madrid, of course, winning 2-1 in El Clasico. That race for La Liga is awesome, which so it means, obviously, for Real Madrid go through to a semi-final, a bit like Chelsea. They're fighting on a few different fronts. They can't afford to take the, you know, the foot off the pedal, but they do have these injuries. Do you believe Zidane when he says that he sort of feels like they've peaked? Yep. Yeah, because they, they haven't got a deep squad at the moment. They've, they've got a lot of injuries. Now, in the midfield, they, they can actually... Uh, the Cruz, Modric, they don't look like they're slowing down. Casemiro, he's, he's been sensational in the last few games. Um, but who was very good was uh, Fede Valverde, uh, that two came on. Oh, he started mm. against um, Barcelona. He's got legs, and, and he looks like he could run out of game. I think they might start him against Liverpool. And I think that, I think that what he's trying to get at is... I don't know how we're going to end up in these last few months of the season because, you know, I don't know how these players are going to keep on playing at that level that they're playing at because the last two games is the best I've seen in all, all year. They, but they is that not a good time? See, they're picking at the right time of the season. Yeah, but they, they haven't got a lot of uh, replacements. You know, you, you now at right full back, they haven't got one. Mm. So I don't know who they're going to play there. Do, do, do they actually just put Mendy over on the right side or Mar- Marcelo over the right side? You think, oh, it's, it's a bit... I would love to see Marcelo on the right. He's the most entertaining <laughs> player in his actual position. Imagine him on the wrong side. It would be well, awesome. He'll be dribbling the ball across the pitch because you'll be going, I want to go to that left side. So you can just imagine where he's going to end up. It'll be the best. Liverpool and Real Madrid. It's live on Optus Sport on Thursday morning. An early goal for Liverpool would make it so, so interesting, just like it did a couple of seasons ago. Elsewhere, Manchester City, Dave, they travel to Dortmund. Dortmund were very impressive, weren't they, last week? And I still can't get over the fact they had the goal disallowed for Bellingham without wanting yeah. to go too far down the path on refereeing decisions. The tie is very much in the balance if Dortmund play like that again. That's right. And look, they had a relieving uh, win on the weekend, which means, uh, you know, they've still got that little bit of momentum, that still bit of, you know, that the, the Bundesliga season, which has been that sort of subplot that they're about to miss out on the top and four Bellingham potentially. And finally got on the score sheet. Bellingham as well. They've had five players under 20 years old score this year. I mean, so no matter what happens, they keep producing the goods with those underage players. Underage players, under 20 players. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are underage. Yeah, Bellingham can't so. drink still. He's 17 years old. But if they come at them like they did last week, it's going to be a great contest. I just, I know I mentioned on air, Pep knows his first 11. What, and, and what I mean by that is he can't, overthink this one they are so good Manchester City Manchester City I would hate to see them go out like they did against uh, was it Leon last year was Leon, that yeah Leon yep. last year where you just can't believe it and he's thinking about it uh Gundogan mentioned it in in the pre, pre-match press conference and Klopp was asked Guardiola was asked about it oh, it's going to be on their minds if Leeds can do it with 10 men Dortmund can do it with 11 oh Big shout. You know, the thing is, if, if Harlan's in form, you had to bring Leeds into it, didn't you? Had to. Did just knock you... Uh, he'd he give us a kick <laughs> and then give us a disgusting look. 21 minutes into the podcast. That's the longest we've ever gone without mentioning them. Yeah, look, I actually think that if Harlan finds his scoring boots again, because he's gone six competitive games without scoring, then they're in with the chance because they were very good in, in yeah. uh, Manchester. I thought that uh, the way that Dortmund actually were trying to play out, the way they also pressed, um, they, they actually tactically got it right against City and uh, they, they were good for uh, 
probably even getting a result out of that game. They were unlucky not to um, get at least something. But over there in Germany, they got a big chance. The only thing I worry about, well, the, one of the things I fear about for Manchester City is they've been ahead and they've done it so comfortably for so long. But at the start of the year and towards the end of last year, they didn't show much fortitude when they went behind. Imagine if Harlan comes out or one of those Dortmund players comes out and scores early. I think we are going to see a real test of their mental, you know, their mental state here and um, their ability to handle pressure no matter how much quality they have. So um, this is one to watch tomorrow for sure. Rightio, then give us an answer. So prediction time for Thursday morning's games. I want a one-word answer from each of you. I want to know who goes through to the semis. Uh, first of all, from Manchester City's trip to Dortmund, Johnny. City. Dave. I've just talked myself for a second into Dortmund. City, city, sorry, one word, one word. Dortmund. Really? Okay. You like to live on the edge, don't you? I just, yeah, I fancy them. I really do. Okay. I'll say city. I'll stick with the pack. Rightio, then give us an answer. Liverpool or Real Madrid, John? Liverpool. Madrid. Madrid. I'll say Liverpool as well. Ooh. I said it last week, so I'm just trying to be a little bit consistent. How oh, oh good is this? Ooh, it should be, it should be a belter studio, either way. Studio shenanigans at oh, the moment. Oh, we have just I've just now feeling tomorrow's games. I thought they were tight anyway, but this last five minutes has made me think they're even tighter than I actually realised. The last five minutes, <laughs> the last ninety seconds. <laughs> Oh, excellent. We're the just last 22 <laughs> minutes, I think, no, that no, it no. made me excited. The last excited. 90 seconds of the Chelsea-Porto game was the best 90 <laughs> seconds of the whole match. That's probably accurate, actually. No, that is 100% accurate. <laughs> so we'll find out on the Thursday edition of the Match uh, Day Gagenpod what on earth happened to make the Final Four make-up. But I just want to divert to a couple of other topics doing the rounds. Uh, this morning, the Matildas played their second friendly over the course of the last five days. And for the second time in a few days... They shipped in five. Concerning for you, John? I mean, obviously, it's not the full-choice squad. We know the W League players couldn't go there. It's a new boss. There were some new players as well. But we know the Netherlands and Germany are the types of teams we will need to beat if we have any hope of lifting a gold medal or a World Cup. So what are your thoughts overall? Yeah, concerning. Um, Look, you have to cut him a bit of slack, Uh, Gustafsson because he is new into the the role he's getting to know his players and uh, them uh, or they are getting to know the way he wants to work and the structures and and whatever else but when you're shipping 10 goals in two games and they are the teams that you'll need to beat if you want to actually challenge for a medal very concerning for the Olympic Games coming up because I don't think we've got too many more friendly games leading into that Um, we've still got time of course for the World Cup that we're going to host but this is a group that you need to win something you know we've got Sam Kerr in there that is at the moment probably the one of the best if not the best in the world and you've got a good group of players that are playing at high level around Europe around the world and if we don't actually look like we're going to win something with this group, oh, it's, it's such a um, dampener on the confidence for them players, knowing what has just happened as well when you're going into the when you're going into the Olympics and other fixtures. Because these are teams that have been you've been competing against over the last four years, five years, six years, and to, like you say, to leak ten in in two games. I know you want to play the best teams in the world, but. The Matildas are one of the best teams in the world. So th- this is, um, you know, and and this is where the discussion is going to come about. We haven't played for a year. He's only been able to pick players for that in Europe at the moment. Um, he's new to the the actual setup. But then, why didn't you play one of these games, at least one, 
against a lesser opposition to actually get that confidence of playing together again. And then maybe the second game against a powerhouse like a Germany or a, or a Holland. Because playing two of them, these girls are going to go away going, by the way, we're actually not that good. How, how are we going to win a medal at the Olympic Games if we can't even mm. compete with them? Because I watched the game against Germany. It was 5-2, but that could have been 10 you know, we, we were lucky that uh, Williams in goal was was brilliant, mm. made a number of saves. This morning, I did, I wasn't able to see the game against uh, Holland, but you're thinking that's a lot of goals that we're conceding. Now, can he shore that up in the, a short period of time just before the Olympics? I'm not sure. Well, that's the challenge I'm concerned about now is there's the two edges to it. Everyone's talking about how... how impressive the attacking lineup is on paper and so it should but we see it on the uh, the screens in the WSL every week but there's that structure and that base that he now has to fix in quick time and also now unfortunately the challenge of the confidence and the and and the the state of the group after those disappointing results the only caveat um to all of this is that we talk about the excuse in inverted commas of the middle is not playing for a year and both of these sides have had two games this calendar year so maybe that is something in terms of we need to get that time with the group together, but uh, not a great start. Also, if you go back in time, remember when Ange Postacoglu took over the Socceroos, the results didn't come. And there was a concern that this tournament in the short term, the World Cup, is going to be an issue. That could be the Olympics here. But ultimately, if you build for the next big tournament afterwards, which was the Asian Cup for the Socceroos, which they won, which is the World Cup for the Matildas, going through these pains will be okay. The difference is, though, that teams of the calibre of... Netherlands and Germany weren't in, let's call it, the Asian Cup for the Socceroos. You have to play the best in the world if you want to be the best in the world. But saying that, Rich, and and I'll go back to when Ange took over the 2014 World Cup. We didn't win a game, but we played well. And you could see signs of the team going, you know what, we're going to compete against these uh, top quality sides. When we played the the, the Dutch, we actually took the game to the Dutch. We we actually dominated them. So there's a big difference there. Ange took over and immediately, immediately you saw an impact with the way he wanted his team to play. Yeah, we didn't get the results, the the, the results that we, we thought that we needed to get to, to say we won a game, but you could see that he was setting it up nicely so for the, the Asian Cup. The players bought into that as well yes. because they could see the momentum. That's what you're seeing with the Matildas. You're going away scratching your head going, where do we go? Yeah, How do we get better from this? Well, you never know as well because you know we'll hear, I suppose, on you know what the players think and I guess where they go from here will be really telling and you never know. Maybe they picked up real positivity and they'll look at that result and go, yeah, that's fine. That's short-termism and we'll mm. be in a good place for the World Cup and the Olympics uh, before that. Elsewhere, John, by the way, I know you brought it up on the weekend, so we're going to keep hammering you about this. Your team, Coventry <laughs> City, ooh, they're in all sorts all of a sudden because Rotherham, Today, sitting third from bottom in the championship, had a win over QPR, Coventry, on the edge. Yeah, we're, we're trying to drag down Derby County in that because if Coventry are only three points in front and Rotherham winning against QPR, I wasn't, I didn't foresee that. I, I think that uh, now, that, and, and we know what it's like, Bridgie. Once you start playing in those relegation games, you, you actually you, your legs are shaking before you get out there because you know how big it is. You you don't want to get relegated. You you know if you go down, what it means to the club, to your own career. Um, so oh, the, the gear man used to hate my seeing my undies after the games and the relegation battles, mate, because they were not a pretty sight. What did he think after any other game? <laughs> well done, Richard. 
All right, well, that might be the last time we mention Coventry City on this podcast, depending, of course, on whether or not they stay in the league. We'll have plenty more from the championship over the run-in. We know that Norwich, pretty much there. Watford also, and that race to be in the Premier League next season. It looks as though it's going to be that bottom three at the moment that it's been for so long. Sheffield United, West Brom, despite some good form, and Fulham as well, but still some turns to go, no doubt. We'll be back tomorrow on the next edition of the Match Day Gagan Pod. Bridgie, Dave, and Johnny, always a pleasure, guys. Really appreciate your time. And for you listeners out there as well, between now and the next edition of the Gagan Pod, enjoy your football.